The podcast you are about to listen to is not a medical podcast, nor is it designed to diagnose a condition. While there are medical experts on the show, any questions regarding medical care or concern should be directed to a primary care physician. The team at Invax is dedicated to delivering new personalized immunotherapy approaches to improve outcomes for people living with glioblastoma and other solid tumors. Leveraging decades of validated research and technologies, Invax's unique platform is designed to capture a tumor's full antigen signature and use it to stimulate a patient's immune system against remaining tumor cells. Invax is currently recruiting for a randomized phase 2b clinical trial of IGV-001 in newly diagnosed glioblastoma patients. Learn more about this phase 2b trial at imvax.com or clinicaltrials.gov. Imvax, advancing a new approach to personalized cancer immunotherapy. Welcome to Game on Glio a podcast that tells the stories of brain cancer warriors, clinicians, medical experts, and those in the grief and loss community. I'm your host, Shannon Traphagen. This season, you will hear unique brain cancer and grief and loss stories, as well as my own journey through grief and loss. If you enjoy our show, please consider writing a review. Also share us with a friend. You can follow us on Facebook at Game on Glio or Instagram and YouTube at Game on Glio Podcast. You can also visit and subscribe to our website at thegameongliopodcast.com for our blog, insights, clinical trials, and guest snapshots. Season three of the Game on Glio podcast is sponsored by GT MedTech and Gametile Therapy. Learn more at gtmedtech.com. And by Invax, personalized whole tumor-derived immunotherapies. Learn more at invax.com. This episode is brought to you by Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York. Learn more at bcbswny.com. I want to thank everybody for joining us on this fourth episode of the Game on Glio podcast. And I want to talk to everybody today about perspective. Over the course of the last two and a half seasons that I have been doing this show, I have been learning quite a bit from our guests about perspective especially the patients and the caregivers that have come on our show. Many of them have talked about the perspective that this disease has given them after receiving it. So many of our guests have shared with us the journey that they took, how they saw things before they were diagnosed, and how they saw things after. And for all of us, I think that we can all say that we've experienced a bit of a change of perspective just from going through and living through the COVID pandemic. When the entire world shut down, we took a really hard look at the things that we used to focus on and pay attention to, what we worried about, what we viewed as important. Our guest Wade today talks about his perspective, how he used to be before he was diagnosed with brain cancer the things that used to be important to him, the things that he focused on, the things that bothered him or irked him, things that were trivial, so to speak. And it had me thinking about the way I saw things before Mike was diagnosed. And it was such an odd time for us because we had so much going on for us. We truly did. 
So many blessings, so many opportunities. I had just published my first fiction novel. We weren't getting pregnant. We had had some miscarriages, as all of you already know. And I felt off, and I couldn't put my finger on why. At that time, we were going through a a very strenuous political campaign. There was a lot of stress around that, a lot of picketing, a lot of people on one side or the other, a lot of divisiveness. And I got really wrapped up in that. I also got wrapped up in the things that I wanted for Mike and I, a bigger home, our family, more opportunity with work. I kept focusing on futuristic stuff, very much so, and and not in a greedy kind of way, just in a sense of wanting more, you know, those, those bigger, better dreams. And we both shared that, and we used to daydream all the time about things that we wanted, things we were looking forward to. And those aren't bad qualities to have. It's not bad to do that. But when you talk about perspective, when you talk about hindsight, I look back now at the things that used to matter to me, at things that were important to me, or things that I wanted to strive for before Mike ever got diagnosed. And those are just things that I don't want anymore. Yes, I still want a family. I I desperately want to be a mom more than I can put into words. The house doesn't matter. What we do in life, how kind we are to people, the way we treat others, whether they know how we're treating them or not, what we do behind the scenes, whether it gets noticed or not, the hard work that we put in, those are the things that matter. I don't even pay attention to politics anymore. I used to work actually in politics years ago. I worked for a state assemblyman for a long time. So I was always very active in political campaigns and I always volunteered, but I also found myself getting wrapped up in the controversy and the trivialness of those things. And after Mike got sick, I realized that life is so fleeting. And then the pandemic happened on top of that and we lost our adoption. And all of this stuff started to unravel. I realized that I needed to shift my perspective. I needed to change the way that I saw things. There's this amazing quote by Tecumseh, who was a Shawnee chief, a Native American. And he said, When you arise in the morning, give thanks for the food and for the joy of living. If you see no reason for giving thanks, the fault lies only in yourself. And that is so meaningful and so impactful because it truly is up to us to shift the way we see things. Even when we have bad things going on in our lives, how we view them, how we see them, the perspective that we take can help us immensely or can hold us back. I recently gave a speech to a ministry group people from all different walks of life that were chaplains, ministers, part of the Muslim faith and community. They were all leaders in their faith. And I was speaking from the perspective of spirituality and from grief and loss, from being a young widow. And a lot of them had this question of dealing with caregivers and and spouses who have lost children or their partner. And they kept coming back to why. Why is this happening? Why did this happen to us? And they've struggled 
with that question, why? I mean, don't we all? And that question of why, again, it ties into perspective. We get hung up on why. Why did this happen? Why did we lose our baby? Why did we lose our spouse so young? Why did I lose my children and my husband and my dog and my friend? Why did all of that happen? And you can go down a very deep rabbit hole asking why. Because the truth of the matter is, and I want you all to ask yourself this if you are walking this journey, if you found out the answer, if the universe or God came down to you and gave you the reason why this was happening or had already happened, would it actually make a difference? Would it matter? Nine times out of 10, probably not because it's not gonna change what's already happened. And so we have to change our perspective. It's not why, but how. How do we move through this? How do I pick myself up? How do I move on to the next day? How do I remain strong? How do I remain supportive? How do I continue to choose love over anger or despair? We need to change our perspective. We need to be grateful. We need to find a reason to give thanks each and every day because it's the little things that truly, truly matter in life. And that's what you're gonna hear from our guest today. He's got some profound words of wisdom. He is a deep thinker. He is a character. He is full of life and energy. Wade Lewis joins us next after a brief word from one of our sponsors. Imagine waking up from brain tumor removal surgery knowing that your radiation treatment is already underway. That's how gamma tile therapy works. At the end of brain tumor removal surgery, the neurosurgeon implants the tiny gamma tiles where the tumor is most likely to return. So instead of waiting to start daily standard radiation treatments that go for weeks, you get a head start against the tumor cells and get back to your life sooner. For operable brain tumors of all types, including glioblastomas, brain metastases, and meningiomas, gamma tile therapy is a one-time targeted radiation treatment with fewer side effects and far less chance of hair loss than external radiation. Gamma tile therapy is FDA cleared radiation therapy for patients with newly diagnosed malignant brain tumors and recurrent brain tumors. Gamma tile therapy is tough on tumors and easier on patients and caregivers. Learn more at gammatile.com. Welcome back, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. We have with us today a father, a husband, and a glioblastoma thriver. Diagnosed in 2019, he is changing the game and the conversation when it comes to brain cancer. This is Wade Lewis. Wade, thank you so much for joining us today on our show. Hello, Shannon. Greeting. So let's dive right in. You were diagnosed right at the tail end of 2019, and we are now into the thick of 2023. How were you first diagnosed? You know, what kind of precipitated you being diagnosed? And what were the thoughts that were going through your and your wife's head when you heard what the diagnosis was? Great question, Shannon. So I traveled a lot for work professionally. I was the vice president of North America for a Danish company that did facilities management. We had about half a million employees around the globe, and that kept me very busy. And my wife surprised me by getting me tickets to go see Norm MacDonald, the comedian. <laughs> so I'm on a flight back from Montreal. She texts me and says, hey, I've got tickets to a show. We're going to stay at this hotel. 
you know, surprise. And, uh, and so I said, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So I went, watched Norm, he crushed it. And then uh, later that night, I had a grand mal seizure in the hotel room. Oh, jeez. Which then uh, my wife calls the paramedics, 911. Mm-hmm. You know, they come out and then it was over the next couple of days where they take you in and they say, well, it's going to be in and out. We don't hold people, you know, for seizures. And then all of a sudden I, I'm there for a day and I'm like, wait, hold on. What happened to we don't hold people for seizures? <laughs> yeah. Nobody wanted to make eye contact with me, Shannon. And so mm. finally my wife and I kind of grabbed a nurse and said, so, you know, as the patient, we have to be inside of this thing. Right. And so she said, well, there's a mass no one really wants to talk to you about. They actually said that? Yeah. So she said, the doctors have found something that they want to come talk to you about. And I said, oh, I'm a big fan of information sharing, uh, <laughs> especially with the people who it seems pretty pertinent to. So that is literally how it shook out. And then over the course of a couple of weeks after that, it was, you know, well, we think it's a low-grade glioma. Mm-hmm. In surgery, it actually turned out to be a high-grade glioma. So where did you end up having surgery? We live on the east side of Phoenix. And so we would have gone to a different hospital had my wife not bought the tickets and bought the hotel room. So because we were on the west side of town, we ended up going to Barrow. <laughs> yep. So so world-renowned spot, Barrow, right? Yeah. So and, and only because my wife <laughs> bought tickets to see Norm. So I'm in the hospital as COVID started. It's this crazy thing. Yeah. So if you if you go back on the timeline, so I had my original craniotomy was December 19th, 2019, uh, which was my son's birthday. Of course. (laughs) I said, you know, Caleb, I'm going to try not to get you death for your birthday. Oh, yeah. I've got that sense of humor. So had had that surgery. They came out, figured out that it was a high grade, not a low grade. But then a couple weeks later, so now we're into January, my craniotomy site had sprung an infection. And so they uh, they had to go through and take out everything, redo the site. And so now, you know, this is late January, early February, and COVID's just hitting the East Coast. Yeah, I'm telling my doctor, I point to a plane because we're on like the, you know, whatever floor we're on. We point mm-hmm. to this plane and I say, hey, do you see those tail numbers right there? That plane's coming from New York. Do you know what is also coming from New York right now? COVID. Please, I beg of you, get me out of this hospital. And so he actually did. They got me out that Saturday, which, you know, they said it's like an act of Congress getting people out of the uh, discharged on a weekend. But they got me out and I went home and started my journey there. Wow. That is quite a jam-packed start of the new year. I mean, (laughs) so now you've got three kids. How did you guys tell them? Did they know right away what was going on? Or did you guys kind of sit down with them and let them know after you had all the information? It was a rough one because going into the surgery, they had diagnosed me as a low grade. For statistics, that's the 88% survival rate. Yep. Yeah. I'm doing the math. My family's doing the math of, well, hey, you know, if nine out of 10 people survive, Pops is definitely going to be in the nine out of 10. He's fit. He's young. He's, you know, all all the good measurable. Yeah, he's going to be okay. He's going to be okay. And so it wasn't until after surgery when they'd done the cold resection and they found out that it was a high grade, Mm -hmm. did the doctor share that with my wife and then my wife shared it with the kids. And so when I woke up, I woke up feeling amazing. And I turned to my wife and I say, hey, 
I, I know they said it could be a couple days, but I am ready <laughs> to blow this popsicle stand. Let's get out of here. She burst into tears and goes running. And I was like, whoa, is that surgery breath? What, mm-hmm. what, what did I do? And he came back in with the doctor because the doctor had said, hey, I'd like to be there when mm-hmm. it's explained that it wasn't a low grade, it was a high grade. So they came back in, you know, they told us that news that it was a high grade, not a low grade. I asked them if there was a door number two. Mm-hmm. They said that there was not. And then I said, well, then I say we open up door number one and kick whatever's behind it as hard as we can. And so that was the start of my journey. Wow. That's got to be really tough on your wife. I can't imagine the mindset of both of you guys going into that, thinking, okay, this is what we're pretty sure we're dealing with, the statistics and the percentages and the survival and, you know, okay, so we should be okay. And then her getting that information before you even get that information, then having to kind of hold on to that as she's waiting for you to come around, that had to be very, very difficult for both of you guys. That wait, Shannon, it was one of those things as I empathize and put myself in her shoes afterwards. Oh, could you imagine sitting there? And she had to sleep, you know, that, mm-hmm. that whole evening. She's trying to sleep in a hospital room, knowing that as soon as her husband gets up, he's going to get some really, really rough news. Mm-hmm. And then she's also trying to process that news. Yeah. So it was certainly a tough season. How long have you guys been together? We met in August of 1996. We graduated high school in June of 96 and then started dating in August of 96 and then got married on August 15th, 1999 and then started having kids about a year, year and a half later. And so our our children are now, we don't even have kids. We have a 22-year-old, a 20-year-old, and a 16-year-old. So technically, (laughs) I have one teenager left in the house. Wow. So you guys were high school sweethearts. We were, yeah. Just graduated high school. We met each other. She moved down from uh, from LA. I lived in San Diego. We started dating. It was uh, an amazing, amazing time. Wow. You don't get to hear too many of those stories. I think I know maybe maybe two other couples <laughs> that uh, met in high school and have been together ever since. Um, and I think that that's beautiful. It's very rare to find. So that's amazing. Well, thank you. So now you get done with the surgery, you're getting ready to start treatment. And even with the Barrow Neurologic Institute, and, and many of you know who Barrow is. You've heard me talk about them many times. I've had Dr. Sinai on this program, and they're also associated with the Ivy Brain Tumor Center. They do amazing work out of there. So you start treatment, and you were also using the Optune device. Did that start kind of like in conjunction with treatment, or was that something that you guys started using kind of after you'd gotten through like a huge bulk of the chemo? When did that really kind of come into play? As soon as I got done with chemo and radiation, so I'd actually started chemo and radiation when my surgical site got the infection. And so I actually had to stop chemo and radiation, heal up, uh, have that surgery, heal up from the surgery. And then that infection, I ended up with a pick line where I had to inject the strongest antibiotics into my heart for (laughs) six weeks or something like that before I went back. And then finished chemo radiation. And then as soon as I did, which that team at Barrow, again, the radiation team was just phenomenal. You get to go out and 
ring the bell when you're at the end. Yeah. I rang the bell as Macho Man Randy Savage. <laughs> so Shannon, I'll send you my Christmas cards, a couple of them. Um, so the day before I went in for surgery, so on December 18th, my family and I shot our Christmas card photos, uh-huh. which were WWE. So we do funny Christmas cards every year. And so that one was WWE themed. My wife was the macho man, Randy Savage. My son was Hulk Hogan. My (laughs) daughter was the ultimate warrior. My other son was John Cena. And then I was the macho man, Randy Savage. And so we got our photos taken, our Christmas card photos taken. And I had two belts because in 2009, I was diagnosed with a couple stage one melanomas. Okay. And then 10 years later, I was diagnosed. And so I had two belts over my arm saying that I was going to be the the two-time cancer champ. (laughs) (laughs) That's amazing. So I rung the bell in zebra lycra pants and a a macho man, (laughs) Randy Savage tank top with the entire, you know, Barrow staff just hooting and hollering and having a blast. See, it's that kind of mentality. I mean, that had to have livened up everybody that was in there. Oh, yeah. People had done that for me. I had met somebody who kind of encouraged me, you know, after my first surgery. I wanted to be that person to as many people with glioblastoma as I could. And so that's kind of been my my mantra from day one. That's actually how my wife and I started the not-for-profit. It's called Better Place Foundation. And all we wanted to do, it was simple. We just wanted to leave brain cancer in a better place than where we had found it. I love that. I think that that is the mission for many of us that have been really tightly linked within this community. And for listeners, you know, we will give information about the foundation again at the end of the show. So you're going through treatment, you've rung the bell, you started wearing the Optune device. So for everybody who is listening, if you're just joining the show, if you didn't really pick up listening to the podcast until after season one, we've spoken about Optune before. We've had guests on the show who have worn this device. It is a wearable device that really helps it kind of tries to put up a firewall to keep the glioblastoma from continuing to grow. And a lot of patients have worn it, including Wade. So how long did you wear it for? So I wore it for almost two and a half years. Okay. I am still on the Novacure, which is the manufacturer, you know, for Optune. I'm still on their website as an ambassador. Mm -hmm. I still help onboard people to Optune, even though I'm not currently using it we still stay in touch with our Optune rep. So I shaved my head and dove all in with the belief that like, hey, so whatever is out there that can be done, I'd love to give it a shot. Mm -hmm. So I used it for two and a half years and didn't begrudge it. Mm -hmm. Like really felt like, hey, I don't care what the medicine tastes like. If it's the only medicine that can help, it might be bitter. Yes. You know, but it's the only medicine. And so did that for two and a half years. And then I had taken it off. Anytime I went on vacation, that would kind of be my time that I would take it off. And so we went to Europe for a couple of weeks last year, last summerish area. Okay. While I was over there, I realized that where I was in my journey, and I live in Arizona. So in Arizona, you have the 100 days of 100 where it doesn't drop below 100 degrees yeah. day or night for 100 days. Right. I just looked and as I was gone and didn't have to, you know, worry about shaving my head, you know, limiting exercise, because on Optune, you can only sweat twice a week, really. Yeah. You know, when you take it off. And so 
I believe that it's a person by person journey. And so like I'm sharing Wade Lewis's journey that is not prescriptive of anyone else's journey. Mm -hmm. I talked to my wife about it, you know, and said, hey, what would you think if I discontinued Optune? Because right now my quality of life with Optune is about a C minus or so. Mm -hmm. Without Optune, it hops back up to an A. I don't have any physical deficits right now. You're a cyclist. I love Mm -hmm. riding my bike. I love working out. So I realized like, oh man, so if I could actually do those things six days a week and, you know, not two days a week, my quality of life goes up quite a bit. Right. You can tell the hesitation because I, I love Optune. It was amazing for me. And if I went in and had a surgery and came out with maybe some deficits to where I couldn't ride my bike the same amount, I couldn't hike, I couldn't do those things. I'm probably shaving my head and putting Optune right back on. Mm-hmm. But because I can get out right now and hike, bike, play tennis, do whatever I want seven days a week without ever having to kind of consult my off time, Mm -hmm. I I chose that right now. And that makes sense. From everything that I have read and learned and the people that I've spoken to, two to two and a half years is usually about the amount of time that somebody will wear it. Mm. And it does seem to have an impact. You kind of trade off with some sacrifices, but you look at how far you are. I mean, you are three, uh, maybe just over or just under three years into this journey, which is amazing. And the gold standard is five years to get somebody over the five-year mark because then percentages start to go up a little bit more. Got to look at when it comes to specifically something like a very aggressive brain cancer, looking at any little thing that will help you get closer to that gold line, that white light up at the top of the hill where, hey, let's get to four years, let's get to five years, maybe let's get to seven years. Yeah, Can we get further out than that? I've had patients on the show that are seven years, eight years, 15 years in. Oh yeah. One of the other guests that I've had on, uh, he wore it for about two, two and a half years. And he is now three and a half or four years into his journey. It does have an impact. But the nice thing is, is that the control is in your hands, which is great because you listen to your gut, you listen to your heart, you wore it for a really long time, you were dedicated, and then you made the decision that, okay, I'm stable, I'm healthy, I'm doing okay, let's increase some other areas of my well-being so that I can kind of really optimize my daily living. It sounds like that's kind of the period that you'd gotten to in the last six months. Absolutely. That's a great way to summarize it. It's also the reason why I take an animal parasitic drug, mabindazole. So now explain that to me a little bit. What is that? So mabendazole is a experimental drug that is part of the, I believe it's now part of the care oncology protocol. They found out that it has glioblastoma fighting properties when they were doing this study where they were trying to implant brain tumors in mice. Mm-hmm. And then some mice couldn't be implanted. And, and so they actually went back to the uh, mice farm or whatever, where they get them from. And they found out that some of those mice had been treated with mabendazole to keep them from getting parasites before. And so now they know that X percentage of the population of glioblastoma patients react well to mabendazole. Now, just like Optune, they don't know, you know, what percent, you know, where it's at, you know, but for some people, for some markers, for some genetics, it does work. As soon as they found out that it helped possibly cure cancer, it went from being a drug that was $7 a month mm-hmm. to we got a quote for $6,000 a month. <laughs> so 
We we now currently get it through Canada legally. We found, you know, our doctor prescribed us away. And so we now get it through there, but it's 20 bucks a month through there. So mm -hmm. for $20 a month, I take a drug that may or may not be doing anything. But, you know, if you keep doing all the things that they say, hey, this may help, you know, these mushrooms may help, this may help, you know, and so I do those things. Mm -hmm. I, you know, I stay positive. I try and do everything on my side of the street because my doctor did say, hey, your side of the street, you know, is really all about positivity and trying to, you know, believe that we're going to cure this before it takes you. Right. So my doctor and I joke, you know, that I want to be the Magic Johnson <laughs> of glioblastoma. Yes. Minus the adultery. Yes, yes, yes. But that's a great analogy. I mean, he kind of opened that door himself, unfortunately, where you did not. And most yeah. brain cancer patients do not. But yeah, it is a great analogy. So your doctor was on board with you taking this drug. So they were really kind of a proponent and a champion of kind of helping find a way to, to make this drug accessible for you. Oh, yeah. Okay. And he was helping other patients do the same thing. And so, yeah, it was, it was really great. Okay. So for some of our listeners that are out there, you know, if this is something that you are interested in learning more about, I will dig into this a little bit more and we will make sure that we have resource information about this drug up on our page when this episode is up. And, you know, I think that this is great because... I have been knee deep in brain cancer and research and in the community and out there nationally. And this is the first time I'm actually hearing about a drug like this. So you've got my interest peaked. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> uh, this is a great conversation. Now, you did mention already that you are an avid cyclist, which I think is great. I love having patients and caregivers on the show that are really big into cycling because it is a major passion of mine. It was a huge passion of my husband's. Mm -hmm. What other forms of therapy do you do? You know, emotionally, physically, you do seem really active. So what do you and your family like to do to kind of help keep balanced through all of this? I am. Um, uh, wow. So. I'll just start by saying my answer comes with a bit of survivor guilt, Shannon. Okay. Because like I, I, I'm sorry for getting a little emotional. No, no, no. That's okay. I tend to bring that out in people. Yeah, right. <laughs> so I've had it so very easy and that can be tough for other people to hear, but I hobbled for a couple of weeks and then, you know, I was on my bike, you know, I was lifting, I'm playing tennis, I'm running, I'm doing, you know, all, all the same stuff. And so I get to, you know, so my son uh, is one of the coaches for tennis at our local high school. So him and I play tennis whenever we can. Mm -hmm. uh, we play disc golf through our neighborhoods. You know, we play pickup basketball, football, Anything that we can do to be out, you know, we just went fishing a couple of weeks ago. And so anything that we can be out in creation doing is just a blast for us. And I've got a great friend set as well. We're actually going. Uh, we meet every single Friday, this group of friends and I do and have for the better part of 20 something years. We're, you know, all met when we were 10 years old. And so we're going on vacation in a couple of weeks. It's this annual thing. And on that, we'll go on hikes and talk about life and how I can be a better husband through brain cancer, you know, just a, a lot of really cool things. And so mm -hmm. I've got a great, you know, group around me and then and then my faith. So faith, if you believe that there's a creator and then you believe that that creator has a plan for you and then you believe that, you know, hey, after this thing's done, I'm going to a better place. Honestly, it just it changes the scenario, right? Mm -hmm. My worst case scenario is still a good thing for me. That's the way that I keep up positivity is by 
enjoying everything that I would say that the Lord gave me to enjoy. So I'm enjoying my family, my friends, my church, food, drink. I saw on your profile that you enjoy good wine. Yes. <laughs> in my chart, it's hilarious because they were asking me the questions and they take the charts and everything serious. And so, you know, they asked me something and I said, uh, oh, white burgundy would be my preference. <laughs> so as they read it back to me, they, they always go, so, and then there's something in here about white burgundy. <laughs> you know, just enjoying life to the fullest, Shannon, is kind of what I've tried to do on my side. It's interesting to hear you speak about positivity and connecting to nature, to the outdoors, to, you know, your support groups, your family group, your church group. I've said this many times on this show, you know, whatever somebody's faith base may be, there is something very grounding in having at least something to believe in. And it is very powerful. It can be challenging to say that, you know, somebody has a plan for me. And then once that plan is complete, I get to go and be in this amazing place. And that can be really challenging for some people. But having faith in the unseen, in the unknown, in something that you're hoping exists or you think exists, but you're not quite sure. And that includes so many different facets of life in general, not just religion, but faith in love, faith in possibility, faith in the road not taken or the road unseen. I mean, faith kind of comes into play in so many things. And I think it says a lot about your determination. And I also think it says a lot about why you are where you are right now. And I don't think I can totally understand the idea of survivor's guilt, but I also think that being able to hear you describe where you've gotten to and the amount of energy, quite honestly, that is behind your voice is also very hopeful and inspirational. And for those that are having a bit more of a difficult journey with their diagnosis, being able to hear this gives them hope and inspiration. And that is very powerful and can bring and invite positivity into their space. Shannon, I couldn't have put it better. We all have faith in something. Right. So Genesis 50 says, what was meant for evil, God uses for good. If in my faith thing, I believe that that's the case, that anything evil is going to be used for good. Oh my goodness. Okay. So I have to look at brain cancer a different way. I just have to, I can't not. That gives me a different outlook. So I do look at my cancer and say, hey, all that may have been meant for evil. God's using it for good. And so I'm a better father, friend, husband. Ask anyone who's met me and and say, hey, is Wade better today than he was three years ago? And every single person would say yes. That's so fascinating that you mentioned that because another guest that I had on season two, Harry LaRusso said the exact same thing. He is about three, three and a half years into his journey. And he had the exact same outlook that if you talked to anybody that knew him and his now wife, but at the time, girlfriend, fiance, before he was diagnosed, they would say he is a much better version of himself now. He's more grounded, more positive. He's stronger now than he was then. That is the case for me. And then I quickly follow up with, hey, but you should have seen me miss a flight, you know, before cancer. (laughs) I would absolutely lose it, you know. And so one of my biggest stories that I learned, it's called the Spotify rule. So in our house, we used to have a rule that if you were eating cereal in the morning, just put on Spotify. 
I don't need to hear you horse chomping. We're not animals, right? You know, I would back it up by the study saying that geniuses get upset by hearing <laughs> noise crunching. And so I'm like, hey, I'm trying to be a house of learned doctors here. So no horse chomping in my house, right? And so I get back from surgery and I'm shuffling out for my first breakfast at the, uh, at the table. The family's already sitting there. I come shuffling out. I sit down. And then one of the kids goes, oh, hey, dad. Oh, hey, so sorry. Let me put Spotify on. And I just stopped. I go, no, 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 stop, stop, stop. If I can hear you horse chomping, <laughs> that means that you're alive and I'm alive. And so everything past that's gravy. So the Spotify rule is dead. We are, <laughs> we are killing that post haste. And so brain cancer really does just give you like some screening things that like theoretically you can think and believe these things, but it's not until you're kind of put in that place that you really go, yeah. oh, wow. All right. That's different. It gives you perspective and it makes you appreciate more of those little things that maybe annoyed you or were kind of a nuisance previously. It really does make you look at things differently. And I think that that it's a weighted blessing. Um, You know, it's very weighted, but it is a blessing. So, you know, let's kind of transition. And if you're not currently working on this, please let me know. But there's a doctor that you've become very, very close to. And I will let you pronounce his name because I really don't want to screw it up. You don't want to give your shot at Echo Colby Funkum? No, I really, really don't because <laughs> it's going to come out sounding not good and people are going to think I'm swearing. So, yeah, like, what? Yeah. <laughs> so now you and he have become kind of um, just like amazing soul buddies, it seems like. Okay. And that's the only way I can use to describe it. And he has really been developing this project that you have since gotten heavily involved with by creating a documentary and bringing awareness to brain cancer in the African region. So I'm really fascinated by this. And I'd love for you to share with our listeners a little bit more. So Dr. Foncom walks into Barrow. He was at Barrow when I was diagnosed. After the surgeon, he was the first neuro-oncologist to meet me. And I was supposed to have somebody else And so they told me, hey, you're going to have this doctor. And then all of a sudden, Dr. Fonkham walks in. We start talking, and I can tell that he's from Africa. And I have worked with a lot of um, people from Africa during my career. And so I was trying to guess where he was from. And so I go, "Uh, I'm going Congo. (laughs) And then he goes, no, Cameroon. And then I go, hey, don't get crazy with me. I was educated in American school systems. So the fact that I'm one to two countries away from your home country in Africa, give me a break, man. And then he starts dying laughing. I'm dying laughing. And he gives me this big hug. He goes, all right, man, we're going to have fun. And so from that day on, we bonded because I also thought about it from his Could you imagine being a doctor where all your patients died very quickly, either died within weeks, months, you know, but certainly years, you know? And so like you didn't have many patients that had been with you for five, 10 years or anything like that. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of look at it from his side and and how tough that would be. And so, yeah, we just kind of bonded. And then when I started my not-for-profit, we started talking about doing fundraising. And so we've got kind of three things that we're trying to do. One of them is to build a brain tumor registry for the continent of Africa. So all other continents have brain tumor registries, mm-hmm. which can, you know, help diagnose, you know, help find a cure, you know, all, all those sorts of things. So when you get diagnosed in Ethiopia, it's a rough, rough diagnosis and process 
than being diagnosed here in the States. That was one of them. The other one is fundraising for a drug. So he's got a drug that's in preclinical trials right now. Okay. And so we're, we're fundraising for that. And that's crazy because like being on the inside of that, getting to see all the gates that it takes through for a drug to get through to the FDA. Yeah. It's in between fifty and seventy-five thousand dollars per gate. Yeah. And so there's, you know, I think about eight gates or something like that. And so we're doing that right now. And the third one was more of a uh, a personal, and this is a weird word for it, but onboarding. Mm-hmm. So somebody gets the disease, like it is so crazy because your doctor's telling you about it, but like it's hard to be onboarded by somebody who's only speaking theoretically, you know, they're not speaking practically or or experientially. They're thinking, you know, they're just saying, well, I would imagine you're feeling this, you know, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, but talking to somebody with the disease. And so that was our third thing. So we started a small group of, of thrivers. We call it the AZ glioblastoma thrivers group. We meet, but when new people get diagnosed, you know, doctors, Novacure, other patients, We'll just kind of send them towards this group. And then the group is just trying to help. You know, I just met with somebody uh, a couple of weeks ago who was just diagnosed and just is asking all the questions. And so my wife and I got to meet with him and his wife and, you know, sit on a phone call for a couple hours and just really try and answer as many questions as we can and then leave them our, you know, phone number and contact info. And hey, anytime anything ever comes up, give us a call. All three of those are just amazing journeys. And I think that that is admirable to be able to put yourself into that place and to be able to help make change, especially something like a registry on a continent that doesn't have one. I mean, you don't think that that's possible. You know, you're not thinking about those kind of things. You just assume that every continent, every region globally has a registry and, and ways to help individuals. But I think there's a tendency to forget that this is not just a disease that exists in the United States. It does exist globally. And we are fortunate and blessed enough in the United States to have some really amazing doctors and researchers at the forefront of this, offering opportunities that a lot of other regions just don't have access to. Mm. So it's amazing that you guys are putting a spotlight on that. I think that we need to draw more attention to things like that so that we can all be fighting this good fight together kind of as one global nation. It's such a great call. We spend a billion dollars a year on brain cancer research or cancer from the chin up, I believe. Mm -hmm. And then on October 31st, we spend $8 billion on Halloween candy. Shannon, yep. does that sound crazy <laughs> to you or am I the only one? <laughs> oh, please. I Don't get me started. I could go into a diatribe about the amount of money that is thrown at absurd things that it just does not need to be thrown at. I've actually recently had this discussion with somebody else about the numerous and copious amounts of money that back other more well-known cancers just because they happen to exist more or they're more well-funded because they're easier to deal with. They're easier to cure. They're easier to battle. Mm -hmm. And that shouldn't be the case. You know, I think it's the, the rare and the hard diseases and cancers that we really need to be fighting much more aggressively on and backing everything. You know, I mean, obviously cancer is cancer, but I, I could go on and on and on because I've seen many times where I'm like, wow, if we just had that kind of money poured over into glioblastoma and other brain cancers, man, we'd be in really good shape right now. We really would. So 
you're doing all of these amazing and wonderful and positive things. And and I have to give a shout out to your wife because <laughs> as a previous caregiver and somebody who has walked that journey side by side with my best friend and my soulmate, it's hard to continue having that much strength all the time yeah. and being that strength for yourself and for the patient. Your wife obviously has an enormous amount of strength and is really your ride and die. That's got to give you comfort and strength along this journey to have her kind of be there with you every step of the way. She's been saving my life since we met. Most women do. <laughs> right? Absolutely. You are, you're not going to hear me disagree one. Uh, Grey's Anatomy, right? She started watching that show season one when one of the characters in there got a, a skin cancer. She, you know, walks in and says, take your shirt off. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Turn around. Okay. You know, and then she points to two moles and then says, go in and have those checked out. You know, I go in and they're both stage one melanomas, you know, (laughs) this woman, we call her Saint Mandy, obviously. And so she has been the most amazing caregiver throughout. And yeah, Shannon, you're right. Like it's, it is so difficult to be a caregiver. So we need respite for the caregivers. We need shout outs. We need encouragement. We need support Mm -hmm. for those people. And so that's also why I go on vacations with my bros so that she gets a couple days without me as well. So (laughs) I'm sure she would disagree with that. But (laughs) (laughs) so now what is your hope for the next few years? Where do you hope to be and where do you hope to see things, not just for yourself, but for others who are on this journey? So a couple months after I was diagnosed, Kobe Bryant died in the helicopter crash. Yes. Kobe Bryant and I are the exact same age. We're actually two weeks apart. He was born August 24th, 1978, and I was born August 10th, 1978. Two of our kids were the exact same ages. So like just all these, you know, kind of weird coincidences. And so after I got diagnosed, you know, I started asking people, hey, So yesterday, before Kobe crashed, Mm -hmm. if somebody would have came to you and said, hey, all your money in the world on either Wade or Kobe, everyone would be broke today, you know, because they would have said, obviously, Kobe's a billionaire and billionaires don't die. (laughs) Wade was diagnosed with glioblastoma brain cancer. And so he is absolutely going to die. And then everyone would be broke the next day. So 150 people die a year by coconuts falling on their head. That's a real stat. So you've watched what you ate. You saved up your money. You did everything. You get to Hawaii. You lay down. You order your Mai Tai. And as your waiter's about to bring it, a coconut falls down. And now you're done. There's a verse that talks about our life being like a wisp of fog, the vapor. It's, you know, it's so quick and nothing's guaranteed. And so for me, it was that realization that, oh my gosh, dude, you've been living so arrogantly, you know, that like just assuming that you'll live to be 90 and that you'll get to do all these different things. And so like, that's actually arrogant because like 150 people die a year of that, you know, 180,000 people a day die. That's Mm -hmm. just the national stats, you know, or the global stats is that 180,000 people die each day. And Shannon, unfortunately, four days ago, one of my closest friends passed away. I'm so sorry of a heart attack, you know? And so like, I feel blessed, you know, like that guy and I had been meeting for the last three years. I mean, I've known him for 15, but like the last three years with cancer and each time he's buying me lunch and he's doing the, you know, he's picking up the tab and I keep saying, Hey, how do you know that you're not going to die before me? You know? And he's like, Hey bro, I'm good with that. I'm good with that, man. You know, like, I just want to see you alive. 
And so that man went to be with the Lord a couple days ago. So your question, the hope for me for the next couple of years, you know, yes, I want to see it cured, want to see, you know, all, all those things. But what's on my side of the street is today. Mm. I was thinking about and praying about our time today, because what you're doing mm. is this huge benefit. You're trying to create advocacy for <laughs> a disease that crushes people. I mean, like when you get that thing, like I want to walk my daughter down the aisle, Shannon, my daughter's six and I want to walk her down yeah. the aisle. And this disease is telling me, yeah, I don't think so, man. I, I you know, statistically, I'm going to take you out before that. And I'm doing the, you know, no, no, no. Mm-hmm. I can't control that. All I can control is today. And so, you know, I, I want to live day by day. I'm looking at a chart right now of my next five years planned out of all my vacations, my kids graduating, my kids getting married, all the different things. And so that's my hope Mm -hmm. is that I'm around to see those things. But, you know, what I can control is today. today. So I'm going to make most out of every day, Mm -hmm. you know, praying that I get another one. So when I wake up, it is a very like, whoa, 180,000 people didn't wake up this morning. It's profound. It's such a profound way of thinking. And we should all absolutely have hope for the future. I mean, that's what you ultimately want. But you also have to live for today and live for the moment. I couldn't agree with you more. And it's hard to not get emotional about it because it is such, you know, if the pandemic didn't teach you, then this disease and other diseases like this do. Even from a caregiver side of things, I've had to work really hard. I used to be very futuristic. I used to want to plan further ahead. If I couldn't see around the next corner, if I couldn't figure out where we would be a year from now, then you know I would get worried and anxious and frustrated. And I've really, you know, losing my husband and kind of having to hit reset in my early 40s was a challenge. And it's made me appreciate needing to not look too far ahead and really take stock of and be content with everything you have that's good going on right now. Mm. You'll appreciate this because it's a verse that, and I cannot quote where in the Bible it is at the moment, but there is this verse that talks about how God created seven days in the week and 24 hours in a day because we're not supposed to handle more than those 24 hours. Yes. He wants us only to be focused on those 24 hours while he takes care of everything else. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> it's really powerful. It's really, really powerful. And I have been leaning on that quite a bit lately and just saying, okay, I just need to focus on today. I'm only supposed to be focused on the next 24 hours. And that's all I need to worry about right now. And so I get up and I do my job and I, I do this. I'm a conduit for other people right now. And that is the way I see it. And that is my role at the moment. So it's very powerful. What you say is very powerful and very true. We can hope for tomorrow, but you also have to be grateful for today. Couldn't agree more. And so like, you know, without getting too geeky into this, manna was the daily bread that the Israelites were given in the desert, but you only collected enough for that day. Mm -hmm. The way that I process is the same way biblically. So I wake up and I look down and there's manna. And so I I go tearing off to do everything on my side of the street that I can that day using the gifts, the passion, the story that the Lord gave me and me only. I'm the only one with my story. Other people have other stories, but I'm the only one with mine. So I run out using my gifts to the best of my ability 
And then I lay my head down to remind myself that I'm not God and I do need sleep. And so I embraced my finitude. It's a word that we don't talk about a lot, but the <laughs> finitude is just the, you know, and there's a book on it called Embracing Your Finitude that, you know, I think is an amazing book, but it, it really is like, do the stuff on your side of the street and then lay down to remind yourself that you're not God. And then if you wake up in the morning and there's manna again, then run it back. And if not, it means you're partying at the uh, at the ultimate party tonight. <laughs> yep. <laughs> well, I think that is a perfect place for us to end today. I am so grateful that you were able to join me and to share this. You've had such amazing success and you're such a thriver in this. And I think that that is inspirational and it is powerful. I am so grateful to be able to have stories like yours on if people wanted to look up your foundation, why don't you let our listeners where they can find you, where they can find information on the foundation, and you know we'll make sure that it's up on our website as well. It's called the Better Place Foundation. It's a, a betterplacefoundation.com, and it's being worked on right now. And this is, a, you know, in the transparent, vulnerable sort of thing. So part of the hard part about doing a foundation and then getting other people around you is those people do die. Mm -hmm. One of the guys that's been helping me with the website recently passed away. Uh, his name is Chris Papaccio. This disease is so rough because all the people around you, you know, like the people that you meet in it mm -hmm. are, you know, like, yeah, it's, it's tough. And so, so many of the people that I've met along the way are no longer with us. And so it's betterplacefoundation.com. If you hear this podcast and you say, well, I know a little bit about websites. I, I've got a little free time. Feel free. <laughs> reach out. <laughs> reach out. Like, honestly, reach out. We're trying to get this thing cured. Like, how cool would it be to be, you know, because I'm doing a Kickstarter for my life, you know, by fundraising. Yeah. But you can either smile or you can frown. And so, like, I've got to smile ear to ear saying, hey, every day that I have, I'm going to go and try and find some money, throw it at this foundation. And if this drug happens to, you know, be effective before my next tumor, how amazing would that be for me to get a tumor? And then for the doctor, oh, here's a pill, Wade, you're going to be all good. And then I go back to my thing. That's the dream, right? That's the dream. And that's the goal. And we will get there. We will get there. Amen. There's so many of us that are putting our voices out there and our hearts into this for various reasons and and it will happen and and we will get there. So I will have all of your information up on our website for those who do want to reach out or follow Wade's journey. I will make sure to put his Facebook information up there as well. Wade, thank you so much for joining us today and for sharing your story. It's truly been an honor to speak with you. Oh, thank you so much. One of my daily mantras is statistics are calculated posthumously. <laughs> no football team stops because they're down, you know, whatever. And so like statistics on survival rates. What do you mean survival rates? I'm alive. That doesn't apply to me until it doesn't, you know. And so like I statistics are calculated posthumously. So if you have GBM and, and you're hearing this, they're calculated posthumously. Don't worry about it. You're not, not a statistic. A statistic. That's perfect. That is perfect. So for everybody listening, this has been an amazing story to share and an amazing journey. And what a great way to end our conversation today. This is the Game on Glio podcast with Wade Lewis, and we will be right back. We talked at the top of the hour about perspectives. And in listening to our discussion today with Wade Lewis, 
we've been able to dive deeper into the challenges and the blessings of what it means to walk the paths that we have to walk, to carry the crosses that we have to bear. For some of us, it is in grieving the loss of our significant others, our spouses, our family members. For some, it's being the patient diagnosed and carrying the weight of that. And yet for others, it's being the doctors or the nurses that are trying desperately to help but don't have all the answers. Changing our perspective and how we see whatever it is we have to face is one of the tools that we can use to truly give us strength, to lift us up, to give us the crutch that we need when hard times hit in life. When we change the way we look at things, the things that we look at change. When we're able to view the blessings of the circumstances that we face, as hard as that is, it changes the circumstances. So as we leave today, as we depart, I would like all of you to try something with me. I've been adopting a new viewpoint in life and challenging myself every day to count four to five blessings that I have in that moment, in that day. They don't all have to be the same. They can change every single day, but especially on days when I'm having a hard time or I feel like I'm facing a lot of barriers or challenges in that day. I take a moment and I pause and I count the blessings. I count the things that I'm grateful for. And I have been making myself do this every single day. So whether you're in the car, you're on your way to work, you're on your way home, you're taking care of a sick child, you're taking your loved one to therapy or radiation, no matter what you find yourself doing right now, even if it's just running to the grocery store, running errands, take a moment and count your blessings. Even if you can only come up with one blessing, just take a moment to count the good things that are going on in life, the good things that you have, no matter what else is going on, and then see how you feel. See how you feel in a week. You will feel stronger and more hopeful and maybe a little bit more joyful. Thank you for joining us today. Stay tuned for another episode of the Game on Glio podcast. Until next time. A proud episode sponsor for the Game on Glio podcast, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield of Western New York has helped millions of members since 1936 lead healthier lives. As a community-based not-for-profit health plan, Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield invests millions of dollars each year to strengthen and enrich the health and quality of life in Western New York. Highmark Blue Cross Blue Shield provides a wide variety of health and wellness initiatives throughout our community all year long. For more information or questions on our free fitness classes and farmers markets, contact us at communityrelations at highmark.com. You've been listening to the Game on Glio podcast the podcast that is designed to educate, advocate, and tell the real stories of those walking the journey of brain cancers, such as glioblastoma and grief and loss. Like what you hear? Share us with others. Follow us on Instagram at Game on Glio Podcast, Facebook at Game on Glio, or visit our website or YouTube channel. You can find us anywhere podcasts are played.